Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with Stephen Huff, a world-renowned concert pianist and composer. In 2018, Stephen Huff published his debut novel, The Final Retreat, with Sylph Editions. In previous years, he also published articles for newspapers such as The Guardian and The Times, and he also wrote a blog for The Telegraph for seven years. Stephen Hoff is a recipient of the MacArthur Award. In 2018, he became an honorary member of the Royal Philharmonic Society. As a soloist, Stephen Hoff has performed with leading orchestras around the world. His recitals appeared on all major stages, including Carnegie Hall, Chicago Symphony Hall, London's Royal Festival Hall. And as a champion musician, he worked with Stephen Israelis, Michael Collins, Joshua Bell. Stephen Hoff is also a member of the faculty at the Juilliard School. Uh, hello, Stephen. Um, welcome and congratulations on your first novel. Uh, this is your first novel that you've been thinking about for a few years. Yes, I mean, some of the subject matter has been in my mind for as long as I can remember, really. Uh, and I've always wanted to write a novel. Um, I love the idea of creating a fantasy world um, that maybe hints at certain truths that even the facts don't get to. Uh, but it was always a matter of time, I suppose, and I, I just these ideas were put, um, filed away, and I've always jotted ideas down uh, on bits of paper, and then more recently on my phone. But then I just decided to, to start working. When I, I read a biography of William Burroughs, and in the chapter on the Naked Lunch, um, the writer talked about how Burroughs started writing this novel, and apparently uh, he had a suitcase full of scraps and letters and poems and notes and ideas, and, and he just decided one day to open this suitcase and, and, and put something together of all of these ideas. So I thought, well, that's a very interesting way of mm-hmm. writing a novel. It's not sitting at a desk and starting with chapter one. And I thought, well, maybe I can work like this in some way. I can actually construct something um, by by creating notes uh, as I go along. And then finally, I have enough material to put something together, to piece it together. So as this book is really in the form of a kind of diary, um, I thought, well, I can write a diary as if I'm this priest, and then maybe something can, can come out of that. So that's how I started writing it. And over a couple of years, um, you know, I, I wrote this diary, and of course, because it was written all within one segment of time, then in a way that the consistency of style and of ideas was, was much easier to, to to have than perhaps with Burroughs, um, when these were, were not meant to be put together in, in one uh, shape. 
So um, in our conversation, I would like to avoid uh, any details that um, could somehow reveal the novel for those who haven't read it yet. So at least I will try to do so. So since you already mentioned the structure of the novel, I have some sort of a follow-up question on that. Uh, is there any reference to a music composition in terms of form here? Uh, there is a frame for the narrative uh, in your novel. It starts and ends with fragments, and I think that you already mentioned this fragmented um, nature to some extent. So it starts and uh, ends with fragments which are organized as an uh, email letter. Uh, how do media devices shape and modify the novel on the structural and narrative level? I think there are musical thoughts behind a lot of it, although there's, there's very little music in the novel itself, just a couple of, of side references. Um, but I think the idea of musical shape, you know, as a musician, I've been dealing with this for my whole life, um, how a composer uh, constructs a piece, uh, particularly within the 20th century, how form breaks down, and that, I find that very interesting, the whole idea of modernism, whether it's in painting or in, in, in literature or music. Um, so in a way, this novel begins with, with a theme, um, a rather striking one, I think, a rather shocking theme, which then you think, well, where did that go? It sort of disappears, and then you start another movement of the piece. Uh, and this does happen sometimes in music. I mean, even in someone like Tchaikovsky, you will have a motive happening at the beginning of, um, of the fourth symphony that you don't know when that's going to come back. And of course, it does return. And then it's by the end of the piece, you understand where it was. Uh, and I think that's what you were just referring to, is that this little shocking theme that you hear at the beginning only makes sense on the very last page of the book. And then you kind of realize what's been going on. You do hear the theme once during the book, uh, or actually maybe twice during the book, but apart from that, it's, it's a kind of a sub-theme in a way. And I, I that was one of the, uh, maybe the, uh, the, the modernist um, ideas that, that, that is behind this book. I mean, this book in a way is, is influenced by that. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I thought very much with it, I, I'm not, I'm telling a, a story behind the story, really. Mm-hmm. There's a much bigger, story in this book um, that doesn't get told, but that you know is there, and that's the tension that I was trying to create, and indeed, that last page, the final email, um, you realize that that there is an unexploded bomb here in the hands of the person writing the email that he doesn't realize, and, and we know it's going to happen, but I don't tell you about that, but I think that was part of what I wanted to do, was to, was to make the, the reader, in a sense, work a little bit harder, the reader allow him or herself to, to explore that. And also, uh, you realize on the last page that um, you, you don't actually know the full um, story. You, you don't realize what's happened to the character. I'm trying to say as little as, <laughs> as possible about what actually goes on in the book, but you, there are uh, three different possibilities to, um, to what happened to, the, to this character in his death. And uh, we, um, I don't even myself really know, although I have um, my own suspicions, as it were. Mm-hmm. So the novel includes a number of topics. Uh, it's religion, faith, belief. Uh, 
And we should also include uh, love, vocation, uh, memory, solitude, loneliness. And you already mentioned some literary um, references. And to me, at some level, the novel reminds me of uh, Salinger's Catching the Rye. <laughs> and I'll explain why. Although your story... Uh, although your story is about a middle-aged priest, so it still it does have some um, references to Salinger's to me. Uh, readers are provided with insights into Joseph's uh, engagement with his private life, how he becomes a priest, how he perceives himself as a priest. Um, an emphasis is also put on how he was growing up, on the transition from childhood to adolescence. So the novel also grows out of memories that um, Joseph uh, shares uh, through his diary writing. Uh, how does Joseph pr- process his childhood and his growing up while engaging in a self-introspective uh, journey during his retreat? And that's where this novel reminds me of um, Salinger's Catch in the, Rye, in the Rye. And on the other hand, uh, you also um, um, incorporate this word a lot, uh, which is fake, I believe, fake. And Salinger has his uh, keyword phony. Right. Yes, I think that like many of those self-referencing um, um, uh, works of literature, it, it is an exploration of that. And in, in that sense, of the passing of time, I, I feel that even though this book is obviously about religion and sex, I mean, those are the two major topics that are explored on every page. In a way, it, 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 it's also about the passing of time, about getting old, about becoming weak, about uh, what, what does it mean to live a useful uh, life, um, and I think that this is very much what I was trying to to create. Uh, in a way, although I suppose some of the subject matter is quite explosive or quite shocking, I think what I wanted to get across was was in a sense boredom. What, what is it to be to be frustrated and bored with your life to feel that you haven't achieved anything that's been of any value? And I think this is also symbolised by the room in which he writes um, all these words, which is a very dreary, boring, colorless kind of space of claustrophobia. I, I wanted to create a feeling of, of claustrophobia with one's own life, with one's surroundings, with one's thoughts. Um, you know, and, and also the idea that outside of, of this um, place where he's on retreat is a wonderfully colorful world, you know, that somehow He's not part of, um, and in fact, what what the sex I think for him is so exciting because it's it's a symbol of of a world outside his world, um, which is the daily grind of being a parish priest and dealing with boring problems of boring people, or at least that's how he, he sees it. You know, most um, of course our problems are not boring to us when we when we have to deal with them, but you know, time after time after time of most mothers coming to him for for advice, um, the, the problems are very similar. You know, the problems of children at school, um, you know, husbands away at work, all of these sort of normal daily things that, that, that we all deal with, and which, in a sense, a priest is the filter for um, in, in some ways. And of course, it's, they're coming to this priest hoping for advice and for help, and he's conscious that he has nothing to give because he has more problems himself than any of the parishioners who are, who are asking for his advice. 
So Joseph seems to be profoundly lonely. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think this is a very much a novel about loneliness. Um, and, and he's lonely on every side. He's lonely because he feels alone in, in his lack of faith, and therefore he's lost the, the, the friends and the, and the uh, associates who in religious life. He's lonely sexually because he has no one um, who, who is meaningful to him beyond just um, sexual release. He's lonely with the, the prostitutes and, uh, because he realizes that you know, all they want is his money. Um, his mother is dead. Um, his father died. So really, yeah, he's, he's completely alone. And I think that's really what... Um, and, and he's alone in this room. Um, so yeah, that's very much a theme of the book. Is, Yeah. And would you uh, elaborate a little bit more on his relationships with his mother? Because uh, it looks like um, uh, at some level uh, he experiences some genuine, probably, and true love uh, in terms of uh, mother's love. Uh, however, on the other hand, there is some pressure that comes from his mother. For example, there is some pressure of expectations uh, to the extent that he feels relieved uh, when she dies. Yeah. Well, I think this is a common thing with overprotective mothers. Um, you know, the, the sense of this is almost the H. Lawrence kind of um, sons and mothers. Uh, reflection as well, you know, of course you love your mother very much, but it, it, her smothering kind of overbearing love, you feel a resentment and you want to, to push away from that. And I suppose also his mother represents the purest form that he can see of that kind of old-fashioned Catholicism, the, the unquestioning faith that, you know, that every single part of your day is surrounded by religion. And now that he no longer believes or, or everything has just falling apart, you know, his mother is, 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 is the ideal that he never lived up to. Uh, she wanted very much for him to be a priest for that kind of um, extreme Catholic mother that the dream is to have your son become a priest. Um, and he did, of course, but we never have his um, talking to his mother later in life. Um, we don't know whether... She was aware that he wasn't a good priest, um, although, of course, he, he, he was a good priest in some ways. I think we get a, a glimpse of that, that, in fact, he was a very compassionate man. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, there's it, 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 this incredible claustrophobia again. You have the claustrophobia of the room in which he is, and then the claustrophobia of that relationship which he's remembering as he writes this journal. <laughs> So when uh, Joseph meets William, there is some uh, uh, hope first that this relationship will be different. And uh, uh, there is a brief mentioning of a classical music collection, which Joseph uh, notices in uh, William's apartment. Um, however, there is a comment that uh, William's tastes are not very sophisticated. And uh, I have a quote uh, here. Uh, it's page 145. Now, William's musical tastes were not sophisticated. Romantic Pianos was the title of this Um, compilation, but it made him more alluring to me, as if um, his uh, caresses and thrusts came from a sensitive soul, as if he meant it, I suppose, I mean. 
Uh, classical music looks you in the eye. It also cancels out the age gap in some way. There were around 30 years between William and myself, but nearly 200 years between both of us and uh, the Chopin waltz. So I detect a hint of another romantic failure in this comment again, and uh, it will be that again, it will be superficial and fake. So uh, why classical music in this very episode? And why isn't Joseph blessed with some reciprocal love? Well, I suppose the main reason is that he's in the closet. You know, that as a priest, he feels that he can't reveal who he is. And of course, mostly a relationship requires being public about it. Uh, people do have hidden relationships, but I think he doesn't really know what he wants. I and mean, he obviously knows that he... Um, has an intense sexual um, energy and, and, and needs, um, but he doesn't want the sort of relationship. I think in another chapter of the book, um, you know, he talks about not wanting someone to come home and, and have slippers by the fire and have a nice um, dinner watching television together or something like that. He, he, he knows that he can't do that because he's living in a church house. Um, and I think, of course, all of these relationships, and William uh, more than the rest, um, are all hopeless, you know, they just, he's looking in the wrong place for love. Um, it's, it's rare, I think, for people to find love in that way from a prostitute, just because the, the whole reason for the prostitute is, is to, to leave you and go on to the next person, because that's how that person is making their living. Um, and he knows that, and I suppose always, you know, you're thinking, well, maybe this will be the one, and Perhaps he really finds me attractive, but of course he doesn't at all. It's just um, another client, um, another uh, you know set of, of dollar bills in, in his pocket. So that's the the ultimate tragedy, I suppose. And uh, who knows? I mean, this isn't explored in the book, but you know, the prostitute is also looking for a relationship, looking to be loved, um, and the prostitute is also conscious, perhaps that. Uh, he or she is, is just being used, it's, not, it's only liked for, for the physical side. So it, it's one of the fascinating things, I think, about paying for sex is that you have two people, and like all of us, all human beings, long for intimacy and for, um, for giving ourselves to another, and yet you have two people who, for that brief time, are faking it. Uh, you know, they're engaging in the most intimate exchange with another human being that we can possibly have and yet it, it doesn't mean what the body is saying it means um you know the, the, the physical joining together is not joined by a, a, a psychological spiritual joining together um and so that's all it is you know it's a shadow behind a lot of, uh, of the chapters on that particular issue so you mentioned that uh, Joseph doesn't really know what he wants. Uh, on the other hand, um, he also seems to be open and honest, at least with himself, through his writing. For example, he talks about his addictions and wounds and dreams and um, like uh, other aspirations. Uh, and uh, sometimes we also see him angry and frustrated. So he's quite um, sincere about those emotions. Um, so he's, he, he also uh, like recognizes the fact that he's a priest with, uh, who indulges in uh, sensual uh, pleasures. He carries a tremendous burden of guilt 
it, it, it sounds to me uh, this way, while he tries, uh, if not to get rid of um, those indulgences, but at least to minimize those. Uh, at some point, he also makes some sort of a contract with himself through words, and uh, his sexual life becomes an entertainment of sexual thoughts. Um, so it looks like he does try to heal himself, um, uh, but uh, I don't think that that healing really takes place. But uh, just to speculate about that, uh, is there any way um, to heal uh, Joseph's uh, tormented soul? It's an interesting point because I, I do think what I wanted to, to have in the book was a sense in this, this retreat, although it doesn't achieve what a traditional retreat might have, have, have wanted to for a Catholic, which is that he decides to be celibate and, and, and live a life as a, as a de dedicated priest, as, as a priest is meant to be, according to the books. I do think by the end of the, um, the, the book and, and of his journal on this retreat, I think you do see that something is beginning to, to heal, and particularly in that little short story um, about Judas Iscariot, where he examines you know, this apostle of Christ who, of all of them, would seem to be the most cursed, but in this particular instance, um, I try to make it so that Judas is the one really faithful um, disciple, or at least the one who really gets something out of um, the death of Christ at, at his own death. Uh, and so, you know, you have that this theme of suicide throughout the book of um, uh, I think there are four of them actually in the book, or at least one of them is, is possible, and it wasn't suicide, but you have these different, you know, explorations of that idea of suicide as the great despair um, when there's no other hope, you take your own life. And, and, but I think, therefore, in that last, um, that late chapter on Judas, you, you see uh, hope, because it's mm -hmm. Judas who is the symbol of despair is able to step back from that particular um, event. Although Judas dies, but at this very last moment, there is this uh, reconciliation with Christ and with the idea of ultimate mercy. And then maybe um, Joseph can also achieve the same thing. And I think you do get a, a glimpse of that, but of course he dies before we know whether that might have been possible. But I, I sort of have hopes for him. I think that his state of mind at the end of the retreat is better than his state of mind at the beginning. So um, the uh, uh, final retreat um, can also be, uh, can also be read in um, a social and cultural um, level. Um, Joseph's uh, represents a uh, generation that uh, grew up under the pressure of limitations and restrictions. Uh, and at some level, Joseph's story is a story of repression and of resistance against uh, restrictions and limitations. And uh, this revolt, uh, however, can have dire repercussions since the one who resists and protests uh, is still expected to follow uh, some rules. So uh, here we could probably mention Joseph's uh, colleague, uh, who's also homosexual, but he seems to have found some uh, content. Yes, well, I think his colleague, of course, was horrified mm -hmm. by this discovery um, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, not just because of problems uh, where he's living in England, but problems back home where he comes from. Um, so, yeah, that moment, um, you know, is, is, is part of our, our, our first theme, this theme that, that just occurs on the first pages 
Cook, and that's a, a recurrence of that theme again. Uh, I'm not sure Joseph was so embarrassed by that. I think Joseph was, was very surprised because of how he met this colleague um, earlier in, in his life, um, you know, because the colleague had only been there for a short time, but he'd, he'd come across him. But this was a big shock to him. But I think for the other colleague, it was, you know, it was, was something of, of absolute horror. So the final retreat, as we discussed, is a story about Joseph Flynn, who undergoes some deep emotional and psychological confusion that arises out of his devotion to religion and his desire to be happy and content in his private life, which to some extent goes against some traditional and conservative beliefs and principles. Um, so uh, in this sense, uh, the final retreat uh, also opens up a lot of levels for reading. But what is a final retreat for you? to write a book that sort of was um, laying out my feelings about these issues in any definable way, because I think all of these issues are so complicated and like with so much morality, it's very hard to be black and white about so many things. I mean, certain things, fair enough, but I think with this whole area, um, I, I just wanted to to look inside the mind of someone. I don't feel at all a connection with Father Joseph, as if it's me. Um, you know, I am Catholic and I am gay. Um, I'm like roughly the same age as Joseph was uh, in the book. But um, he's a very, very different personality to me. I, I'm basically blessed with an optimistic nature and I, I don't have the same conflicts with... Um, sexuality and, and religion that he did and my mother is a totally different character from from his mother I, I don't come from an Irish kind of background and I think that what the mother represents is a very particular kind of Catholicism um, which you wouldn't find for instance in um, the south of Italy I don't think, I mean you'd find different versions of it but there's very much um, a, a sense of this I can see um, the mother very clearly. I've seen many examples around the churches of, of the north of England of, of precisely this this sort of woman who herself, of course, deserves a book because you know she is completely tortured by her own scruples and her own religiosity. She feels that she has to earn the, the um, acceptance of God by performing all these rituals of, of Catholicism, which. Uh, you know, Joseph, I think, has got beyond that. But um, but for me, the book is, is, is an atmospheric book, really. It's one that I hope at the end of it, you you have a sense of, of his claustrophobia, of his despair, but also of his hope, because um, some of the chapters on, on theological issues that are dotted around the book, I, I hope they raise some thoughts about this, whether, it, whether it's baptism, um, the idea that, that uh, baptism doesn't change someone's relationship as a, as a baby with God, that the baby is already accepted love just because of being created. I think that's a very important point for me. Um, also, the uh, the idea of hell is something that I thought about for a long time. and made many notes I was going to write that even... Um, a long essay or perhaps a short book about this whole idea of how, whether it's possible that God could ever allow anyone to go there, um, and so 
I talk about that in, in relationship to Abraham and Isaac, which I think is, is, is a relationship between those two ideas that, that I think is very important. If, if we believe that it's impossible, really, that God could have wanted Abraham to kill Isaac, therefore this idea that we resist God uh, and say, no, I don't agree with, with that, is actually what God wants to happen, because then we understand uh, what God is about. So when we say to God, it, it's impossible that someone is in hell, I don't believe it. He says, yes, that's just the answer I wanted you to give. So there, there are various um, points throughout the book where, where I explore these theological ideas. Um, and I think it's also the, the jarring nature of, of the two things. I think you are meant to be shocked as you read the book, as you, you know, you're reading what could be a sermon, and then suddenly you're in the bedroom of a prostitute. And, and I, I very deliberately, although I don't think the book is erotic in any way, I, um, I don't describe sexual acts in a way that's meant to be titillating, but uh, it's meant to be shocking. You are meant to flinch as, as you read this, because it's part of trying to create um, Joseph's own frustration, frustration with himself. And, and so it's, it's meant to be a razor to the skin uh, at times when I describe those things. And, and, and I want the reader also to be, to feel uncomfortable with it um, because of that kind of contrast between religion and, and sexuality. Right, right. Um, uh, absolutely. Um, so uh, you already touched a little bit upon the um, um, upon some hope that the end of the novel evokes, and yes, there is some some sort of resolution, or there is some sort of like at least a hint at some peace. Um, uh, but um, in addition to this uh, sort of closure, uh, there is a lot of open space left uh, and I was just wondering wondering if uh, there is any possibility for a continuation for this novel <laughs> well I did wonder if I could tell I don't think a continuation because of course it is the final retreat I and mean, that's mm -hmm. the title suggests that there's an end to this story but um, it would be possible I think to go in and tell other stories of other characters in the book uh, I think, you know, in fact, all of the characters could have a novel told from their viewpoint um, of almost the same events. Uh, so that might be interesting. But I do have another novel in mind, but it's going to have a mm -hmm. musical oh. uh, theme. Um, and, and it won't have anything to do directly with, with this. Uh, but uh, possibly, nothing is impossible. <laughs> Well, then, uh, we're looking forward to your uh, new novel. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the novel. Uh, the final retreat offers an insightful story of the priest who undergoes this profound subversion of his religious stability and uh, his emotional balance and sanity. Uh, the book raises a number of questions which resonate with the current political, social, and cultural environment and uh, provides some space for thinking through the current challenges. Uh, thank you so much, Stephen. My pleasure, Natalia. Lovely to chat. Today I spoke with Stephen Huff about his novel, The Final Retreat, which was published in 2018 by, by Self Editions. Thank you for listening to the Literary Studies Podcast in the New Books Network. <laughs>